This is a Lip Media Podcast. Deviant women, 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 deviant women. Hello and welcome to Deviant Women, the podcast where we talk about deviant women from history, mythology, literature and contemporaneity. My name is Lauren. I'm Alicia. And welcome back to the podcast. You might have noticed something different about the podcast already. At the very, very beginning, that uh, little um, lip media. What's it all about? What does it all mean? It means we joined a podcasting network. Which is really exciting. I'm really excited about it. We are now with Lip Media. And they are an excellent network. Yeah, so they're a community network that develop podcasts by women and members of the LGBT plus community. And so we feel like we have found our home and we really believe in the work that Lip does. And so this is we're really excited about it. We are. So you might notice a few ads here and there dropped into the show. (laughs) But as we said, we really do believe in this network. So we hope that you will come with us on our new professional journey into (laughs) networkhood. (laughs) And check out some of the other podcasts on the network, such as The Gays Are Revolting and Oh Dear and Queers. And hopefully this is a network that's going to keep growing and growing as well. So there'll be more shows. But yeah, we're very excited. So is there anything else exciting happening except for our recent acquisition <laughs> Acquisition? Information. Did we acquisition or were we... Were, we, we were We were acquisitioned. I, no, I've got a really sore arm from painting. I've mm. been renovating. Um, How dare you say there's nothing exciting happening in your life? I've been renovating a room. No, that's not the thing. That's not the thing? You're going to China in two days. I actually, oh, yes, that's true. But actually, <laughs> by the time that this episode... You know what? I'm speaking to you from Japan Ooh. right now. Or China, maybe. I'm not sure. But by the time this episode goes out, I'll be on the other side of the world. Yep. I will. You'll be in the delightful summer sunshine. I will. I'm going somewhere sunny and warm. Mm. Oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> um, yes, I am off to Japan in just a couple of days and then China after that. So, good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but I am trying to finish renovating a room before Mm. I get on a plane. And, you know, look, my life is all about trying to get things done to a deadline. And those deadlines are usually like self-inflicted deadlines before important dates like flying out of the country (laughs) or getting married. (laughs) And the night before you get married, you're still up painting a ceiling. So, you know, (laughs) I didn't learn my lesson. And oh, doing it again. Doing it again. Good times. Doing exactly the same. And you know what? I'll do it again in the next room. Yeah. I'll come up with a new deadline and do mm-hmm. exactly the same thing mm-hmm. and still be up painting it the night before or whatever that thing is. So there you go. That's my life. How about you? Uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very exciting. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. It's, it is what it is. It's, it is, li- it is. it's a life. It's happening. You yeah. know, I'm here. I'm alive. That's good. And that's, that's positive. You're keeping you know? it positive. <laughs> Yeah, good. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, you've been doing some research. I have. That's exciting. This was a fun one. I really, like we said last week, we both, I think, felt the need to do figures who were a little bit lighter than yeah. they have been when we did Pat McGuinness and Margaret Sanger, uh, Margaret Sanger and, and Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Those were heavy topics. And so I wanted to do someone a bit glamorous. <sighs> A bit bit glitzy, but also somebody who was vastly underestimated in her own time. And also a request. Yes. So this is a request that came from Kat Hoffman. So shout out to Kat. Yes. So today we are talking about Hedy Lamar. And we're going to drink red wine in honor of it. Yes. We should be probably should be drinking champagne. Cheers. Cheers. That was a terrible clinking sound. We should just get a fake clink. Ah, and then add it in yeah. afterwards. Good idea. <laughs> and the sound nice is clean like one. of a champagne bottle. Of proper crystal clinking rather than cheap Ikea glass. All right. I do have crystal glasses, but I don't get them out. We don't need to break them out for this. No. Yeah. So where are we going? Who are we talking about? Well, we are talking about the actress and inventor, the quote-unquote most beautiful woman in the world who escaped the Nazis 
who was deeply intelligent but totally overlooked. Well, totally overlooked for her looks. For her looks. Yeah. Hollywood bombshell who, well, had rather a sad decline in her later years mm. as so many Hollywood glamazons did. But, yes, we are talking about Hedy Lamarr. And I don't know if you know that Hedy was born Hedwig Eva Maria Keisler. I didn't know all of those names, no. In 1914. Hedwig. Hedwig just makes me think of that Hedwig in that Angry Inch movie. Really? Interesting. That's the only Hedwig I've got. I feel like you are one of a tiny percentage of humans (laughs) on this earth, in the Western world at least, who don't immediately associate that with an owl. (laughs) You reckon? Is that a Harry Potter reference? Is that a Harry Potter I don't reference? fucking know. I'm assuming it's a Harry. I'm trying to think of something that would have a ha- an owl in it called Hedwig. I'm assuming it's a Harry Potter reference. It is. All right. Fine. I haven't read. <laughs> I haven't. Look. Okay, everyone. It, it's true. <laughs> I haven't read Harry Potter. There you go. I haven't. And you know what? I haven't seen any of the movies either. You know. <gasps> well, actually, that's a bit of a lie because I have seen a bit of the movie that had David Tennant in it because I used to be really madly in love with David Tennant. But I don't know which movie it was. All I know was that David Tennant was in it and I watched a bit of it. And I was only watched... in it for a minute. Well, that's all of the movie that I watched, the bit with David Tennant in it. Barty that's Crouch. it. Okay? So sue me. I don't care about Harry Potter. There. I'm, it's out. I'm glad the world has heard your confession. <laughs> And you shall be judged as you are judged. There's going to be pushback about that, isn't there? Look, I'm sure that there will be those who come out in support for you. You reckon? Fellow, I don't think so. I think I may have just put myself in the firing line. Fellow non-Potterists in the world. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm also just saying that, you, you don't know, care about it. I don't care. Okay. Just don't well, care. anyway, the point of the story is that <laughs> Hedy's name is actually She's Hedwig. an owl. She's a magical owl. Yes. And she was born in 1914 in Vienna. Which was then just, by the skin of its teeth, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And she was born into a Jewish family. Now, you may already perhaps get a sense of where the story is going to go. Oh, it's going to be all laughs and giggles. So many laughs and giggles. Well, actually, look, things weren't terrible for young Hetty. So her father was Jewish, was originally from Lemberg, which is now in what is the Ukraine. And her mother, who was from Budapest... Or Budapest? Yeah, if you were my sister, you'd say Budapest. My but sister loves saying that. Is that a bit wanky to say it like yeah, my Budapest? Sister, my sister's husband tells her off for doing it every single time. <laughs> like, just call it Budapest like everyone else. <laughs> um, her mother converted to Catholicism and raised Hetty as a Catholic. So, yes, but I don't really know if the Nazis care if you convert. Anyway. I think they did in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, in the beginning you had options to convert. Mm. All right. not, but I think as things yeah, was, progressed, it all just got over with. Yeah. So she was an only child and her family were actually really quite comfortably upper middle class. Her father was a successful bank director. Her mother was a pianist from a wealthy family and she had given up her dream of being a concert pianist when she gave birth to Hetty at just 20. Oh, that's sad. Which is sad. It is sad. It is. That's really sad. (laughs) But it meant that the family lived in quite a nice, very like artsy Jewish neighborhood in, I do not know how to pronounce this, Derbling, maybe? It's got the umlaut over the O. I love an umlaut. Derbling? Sure. Okay. So the family moved in quite artistic and political circles. especially and obviously like had a bit of cash. They weren't yes. poor. Yeah, mm. they're the type of people who go to the theatre and go to the opera and yeah. they're patrons of the arts and so are their friends. However, with the fall of the Habsburgs at the end of World War I and the decline of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, there were quite severe ramifications for many Viennese Jews. So many families lost a lot of their wealth and influence and they started to suffer from the increased hostility that was kind of growing towards them. But her parents kept Hetty quite protected from a lot of this. And she grew up in a house that, like I kind of said, privileged music, privileged theatre. She learnt to play on her mother's grand piano, which Mm. is, I guess, an advantage of having a non-concert pianist mother. (laughs) She pushed that all onto her daughter. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You do it. You live, I'm going to live vicariously through you. She attended a wealthy school, which was the same school that Freud's daughters attended. At Um, the same time? No, they were there a few years before. Yeah, okay. But one of the Freud girls was teaching there. Oh, right. Yeah. 
And so they would have these beautiful like Austrian family weekends where they'd go hiking in the mountains and rowing in the river and, you know, singing on mountaintops and traipsing around the countryside. Yeah. In curtains. Um, in riding bikes, <laughs> Sorry, absolutely. juggling tomatoes at Don't the market, a deer, a female deer. all their favourite things. Excellent. Love it. And as a young girl, she would also take apart her mechanical toys and put them back together ah, again. Now, this is very telling, isn't it? it? Is. That's mm. something to lock away in yeah. the brain for later. And so it's not surprising, perhaps, that in this environment, she would develop a love for acting. Acting. And the theatre. So she would perform fairy tales on her own because she was an only child. Oh, I used to do that too. Hey, did you? Yes. Did you dress up in your parents' clothing? Fuck yes, I um, did. I used to, yeah, I used to make all the adults sit around and watch me put on <laughs> poxy fucking shows. I pretend like they cared. Yeah, they do. Parents are good at that. They are pretending very good at pretending, pretending they, cared. they care. And her parents were good at pretending that they cared too. Awesome. And her mother first took her to the theatre when Hetty was 12. And I remember when my mum first took me to not just the theatre but like my first big production mm-hmm. when I was probably about the same age. I think I went to see Oliver Twist. Oh, yes. Excellent. In, in Melbourne. Nice. And that was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Everything is spectacular. Yeah. I'm going to be in the theatre. There is something very powerful about that, isn't mm-hmm. there? Oh, my so God. Very powerful. Those first formative theatre experiences. Sitting there, the lights go down and then mm-hmm. suddenly, bam, there's a whole world. And so she had this experience. She fell in love and she decided that this was it. This is what she's going to do. And so she started to become quite involved with theatre and drama at school. But in the hours in between drama classes, she was attending design classes. Oh, cool. Again, another thing to lock away. Lock that away. Takes toys apart, looks at the mechanics, (gasps) goes to design school. Yeah, What could it all mean? In theatre at the same time. The first film she ever saw, which I think beats probably the first film I ever saw, which I couldn't tell you, was Hmm. Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Yeah. when she was 13. And as you can imagine, that also had quite an impact on her. However, her mother was concerned that Hedy would become too reliant on her looks. Mm. And so she tried to encourage other pursuits. Hedy, however, was all about her looks. She was quite aware, I think, from a young age that she was attractive and she entered a beauty pageant in secret when she was 12 and she won. Oh, a 12. 12. Right. Yeah, I know. I could go into the problematic nature of beauty pageants mm. for 12-year-olds, but there's also beauty pageants for three-year-olds, so, you know, so, yeah. I won't. And she bought herself a fur coat with her winnings. Oh, well, you know, I don't agree with fur, but glamorous. Hey, very glamorous. She knows what she's about. Because at the th- I think her mother's concerns probably pretty warranted because her looks were becoming kind of obvious to mm. people around her. Even at such a young age, which, you know, gross, but, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. And it was what it was. Last week we had a dancing girl at six. Yes. Hmm. Unfortunately, no, this is an upbeat story. We're not going to dwell. That's all right. We're not going to dwell. We're not going to dwell. Hetty's first boyfriend was when she was 16 and he was a 25-year-old director of a chain of shoe stores. Oh, yeah. And apparently he was already dating her friend and... (laughs) They, like, got him (laughs) into this room and forced him to choose between them. Oh, good. I didn't know where that story was going. But, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Hetty was quite delighted when he chose her. As you would be. Yeah. And you'd pretend to your friend. You'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. But on the inside you'd be like, ha, ha, suck shit. So. I mean, that's not the kind of friend I am. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So apparently, though, and this is according to her 1960s biography, Ecstasy in Me, which is quite salacious Mm. and probably not to be trusted. There's a whole story about that that I'm going to come to. But according to this biography as a teen, she was also the victim of a flasher. She was sexually assaulted and Mm. she received unwanted sexual attention by both older men and women. Mm. So, yeah, her looks... I guess she was sort of becoming aware of how she could use that, what she could gain with her looks, the power that that could give her, but also how that can be used against her. 
it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. So this beautiful young woman, Hetty, knowing that acting was her calling and that beauty was her advantage, decided that she was going to give it a crack for real. So one day she forged a note to her school and she snuck off to the Sasha Film Studios, the largest studio in Austria, where she just talked herself into a job as a script clerk. Oh my God, I wish I could talk myself into jobs. It's a bit like, you know, maybe in Arrested Development. Yes, it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's I imagine the same age. I imagine her as a as maybe. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so one day she overheard an assistant director say that he would be interviewing actresses the next day to play a secretary in a film. And Hetty was like, hmm. I want it. I want a job. So she made herself up, made herself beautiful. She went up to the assistant director and boldly told him, like, that role is mine. I'm going to have it. I'm going to play the secretary. Yeah. And thus began the career of Hedy Lamar. Is that all it fucking takes? Apparently. Jesus. You just got to be really fucking confident. God, have we been doing it wrong this whole but time? But I think that is actually the secret to the universe, isn't it? It is. It is just to be confident. It's just to be fucking mm-hmm. confident. Yeah. Yeah. And not to care. See, yeah. this is the problem, right? This is the problem is that we care too much about what other people mm. think of us. Oh, cripplingly so. Yeah. <laughs> cripplingly <laughs> Stops so. Stops us from being confident assholes. <laughs> Stops me from being able to do anything. <laughs> Too concerned Literally. about what other people will think. Anything. Well, great. She wasn't. But she was not paralyzed by the fear of judgment. So let that be a lesson to the rest of us. Well, it took her to some interesting places because her first breakout role was really quite controversial. And it's probably important that she had that confidence and attitude of not really caring. Although I think that's a bit unfair because I think she did care. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Mm. So I'm going to rewind. So this film was basically the most important of her biography and certainly of how she is remembered. And it is what cemented her reputation for both good and bad. Mm. And that film was a little film called... Ecstasy. Mm, not the drug. Ecstasy. Ecstasy. <laughs> e, 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 e. Ecstasy. Not That's that. a really specific reference it that is. I don't think anyone outside of our country will understand. No, they won't and shouldn't really watch now anyway. No. No. He's dead to us. That's Chris Lilly in case you didn't know. Mm. He's problematic. Anyway, now Ecstasy, if you don't know much about it, it was in the way that many European films are far more liberal than their US counterparts, it was quite sensual, quite erotic, contained a lot of nudity and was a first in many respects. We would call that art house. Yeah. These days. It's the kind of film. A little bit of tits and ass, art house. It's the kind of film that you walk like walk into your living room and your dad's watching SBS yes. in and the you're middle like, of the night. What, what is this? <laughs> yes. A foreign French film with naked ladies? Yeah. What are you watching, Dad? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's funny because that experience is very, very – that's a familiar experience. I feel like it's a familiar experience for most – Children of Australia from the like maybe 70s through 90s at least. You're watching SBS. What are you watching on SBS? It's it's an art house (laughs) film. Is it or is it pornography? Which is it? Who knows? Who can say? Art house. It's art house. It wouldn't be allowed to be. It's foreign, Lauren. It's It's foreign. So it's art. It was 1932 and Hedy was just 18 and she was cast as the lead in Gustav uh, Muchetti's, I hope I'm saying that name, Correctly, it's Czech, which means I'm probably messing it up really big wrong. time. Yeah. But she was cast to play the role of Eva, who was a young wife neglected by her indifferent older husband, a role that would go on to become a bit close to life for young Hetty. Mm. But anyway, after abandoning her passionless marriage, Eva meets a young engineer, Adam, <laughs> and the two begin an affair. And it's really about a young woman who's finding her sexual freedom where a young Eva and Adam, I mean, hello, learn to live according to their unbridled sexual instincts. Ah, just to nature. Just like in the Garden of Eden. And there is a garden scene that is quite famous slash infamous. The symbolism in this film is very, very obvious. Yeah. But what was really remarkable about the film is that it doesn't punish Eva for her sexuality. It doesn't punish her for leaving her husband, for enjoying Mm. sex with her young lover. So it is kind of, I mean, this is a film from 1930 fucking three. Yeah. And that stuff wasn't depicted and it does however of course show quite tightly framed shots of Lamar who was often in not very much clothing she is 
framed as an object of desire. It includes a nude swimming scene. However, the character of Eva is one who remains in control of her life. She doesn't give that control over to either of the men. Hmm. And so in that sense, it was pushing a lot of boundaries. And now Ecstasy was billed as the first non-pornographic film to portray sex, which is apparently not true. Yeah, I was going to say that can't be right. Yeah, it's what it's kind of wrongly known for. However, what is true is that it was the first film to portray a female orgasm. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yes. So the film was obviously, as you can probably imagine, quite controversial and when it was released it was delayed quite a few times Mm. in many countries due to censorship issues. The Pope denounced it. Hitler denounced it. That means anything. (laughs) However, it was critically well-received in Europe and it even won an award in Rome. That's because it's art house, Lauren. Exactly. Art house. It's It's foreign. The US, however, do you want to guess how they responded? Oh, they would ban that shit. Oh, yeah. They totally banned it. They totally banned it. Distributors lobbied the Hayes office who approved the Hayes Code. Yep. Um, which allows films to be distributed. The distributors lobbied the Hayes Code for 10 months and they were finally able to show it on a very limited run. Mm. The Hayes Office called it highly, even dangerously indecent. And can we just like, just to clarify for people who don't know, so the Hayes Office... They were the ones who were in charge of all the, you know, all those films that you mm. see where the couples sleep in separate beds mm-hmm. and they don't really kiss for longer than two seconds. And all of those sort of early films were to this code about mm. moral mm. decency. Like the, you're not allowed to have both feet. Like yeah, you have to have one foot on the floor if you have a scene with the bed in it. Yeah, exactly. Where two people are on a bed or yeah. near a bed, then, yes, someone's foot still has to be yeah. on the floor. All this sort of ridiculous like morality stuff. police stuff. It's so outrageous. Mm. Europeans didn't care about that. They did not give a <laughs> fuck. This is a very specifically American yeah. code. Yeah. And look, it did contain nudity. Like Hedy Lamar at 18 did appear nude in this film. However, she didn't actually agree technically to the nude scenes, she was told that her, quote, intimate parts wouldn't be seen in the oh, film. So fucked. she knew that she was being filmed nude, but it's the scene where she's running into the water. Okay, yeah. she's running into, splashing in the water. Yeah. And it was filmed from quite far away. So she believed that it would be kind of beyond the scope of what people would actually yeah. be able to see. However, the director filmed those scenes with a really powerful telephoto lens, which, of course, allowed him to zoom in. That's horrid. Also, she didn't know about the kinds of sex scenes that she was filming. Like, she wasn't aware of what those scenes were going to... how they were going to be edited together mm. and what they were for. And in order to have her portray her look of ecstasy shall we say the director pinched her and he prodded her with a safety pin what the fuck yeah oh and she's 18 you know like the film industry does not give a shit about women yeah and so she was quite disturbed and disillusioned by this experience and fair enough and she did continue to work especially in the theater in vienna but it did have an effect on her reputation and we will see the ramifications of that mm. in a little bit. But meanwhile, she was becoming famous because of this film, however, and so she was able to return to the stage and she was, and it was here in an acclaimed production of Sissy, which is about Elizabeth of Bavaria, that she drew the eye of Friedrich Mandel, among others. She was very popular. So many of our women draw an eye, mm. don't they? It's Drew the eye, exactly. caught the eye. It's because up until very recently, Alicia, I don't know if you knew this, but women were objects. I, I was unaware of that. Thank mm. you. That is a that is enlightening. I'm glad that I could show you the truth. Was unaware. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, she did draw the eye of Mandel. And Mandel, his family were Hungarian Jews, so they were wealthy of notable social standing and he was a very successful businessman. He was a military arms merchant to be exact. And so let's also just position ourselves in Vienna in the mid-30s. Oh, Jesus. Military arms merchant. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Yes. And take one guess at who he's selling that shit to. Oh, do oh, you want to guess? Yeah, I'm just going to say the Nazis. Yeah, he was yeah. selling that shit to the Nazis. Of course he was. He sure was. He sure was. But – 
on the surface, he was a very well-to-do, charming, mm-hmm. very impeccably dressed guy. He moved in art circles. He loved to be seen with beautiful actresses on he his doesn't. arm. He doesn't. He doesn't. He had had two previous quite notorious relationships, including a lover who apparently, allegedly, committed suicide over him. And so when this happened, he, of course, he needed some new arm candy. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if your previous arm candy killed Mm, herself. Exactly. You're going to need some new arm candy stat. Yes. And so he was 33. Hedy Lamar's 18. And the two got married. Oh, wow. But, I mean, you had to get married back then if you wanted to have you sex. Did. That's true. Yeah. If you wanted to live together, you had to be married. Mm. And, again, we shall see this play a role in Hetty's biography very soon. But I also think maybe at that age as well she's thinking about – maybe she's thinking about the money she can get too, which mm. I'm not saying in a bad way. Mm. I mean, think about the You've money you can get. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to look after yourself, of course. Yeah, exactly. Of course you do. Yep. Your 18-year-old looks are not going to last forever. Mm. Yeah, and he was moving in really kind of exciting circles. He was hanging out with artists and with scientists. So, you know, he was having having meetings with people about radio frequencies and missiles and the state Mm -hmm. of weaponry during the war. And she's there. (laughs) See where this is leading. She's listening into all of this and learning. And also apparently once they hosted Hitler and Mussolini. Oh, just a... Your casual fascist tea party. At a party. Good yep. times. Exactly. At the fascist tea party. Yeah. 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 She ho- yes. <laughs> so she had those guys around to her house sometimes. And even though some of this was quite boring to her, she was learning a lot. And we'll, mm. yeah. However. Again, we're putting that, putting in that the, on the back burner. I mean, most people probably know where this is going. Maybe. So you know that this is important mm-hmm. to this story. However. Wasn't a very happy marriage. Mm. So maybe they loved each other once, but it turns out that Amanda was a very jealous and controlling man, which I guess for somebody who's very wealthy and living... And sells arms to the Nazis. <laughs> it's not surprising. He doesn't seem like the greatest guy. He doesn't? No, he no. doesn't. And doesn't seem like he maybe is entirely self-interested at all either. He's Jewish! Yes. He's Jewish. Makes no sense. He was selling weapons to the Nazis. I Sorry. guess he knew how just... to. I guess he knew how to look after himself. Yeah, look after number one. He exactly. And so this controlling and jealous man, he was convinced that Hetty was going to have an affair, and so he kept her basically a prisoner in his castle. What? Yes, in his castle. His castle, which was a hunting castle, in you know out where they would go hunting, basically in some Alps. I'm going to say yeah. And she was well kept in the sense that oh yeah, she well kept had a your, lot of beautiful things in your fucking castle dungeon, but she had no freedom. Yeah, yeah. And Mandel didn't allow her out unless she was accompanied by a servant. He kept her in a very strict allowance, and he bugged her telephone. What? But apparently, she would still try to get around it wherever she could, and she would kind of purposefully spend money on things just to kind of. I guess, like, piss him off and kind of attempt to have some kind of freedom. Mm. But even this wasn't enough and she decided she obviously needed to leave. Yeah. Not just her unhappy and incredibly restrictive marriage, but she needed to get out of pre-war Austria. Yes, definitely. She knew where shit was heading mm. and she knew that it wasn't going to be a good place to be. However, because Mandel had people watching her all the time, she had to be very, very careful. So she enacted a cunning plan. Oh, I love a cunning plan. She hired a maid who looked remarkably like her. Uh-oh. Yes. And then she slipped some sleeping pills into the maid's coffee one day. What? And then when the maid passed out, she packed her bag, stole the maid's outfit. What? And snuck out the servant's entrance. She stole the maid's car <laughs> and drove to the train station where she boarded and she was away. I guess she woke up and was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. I've, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know. That poor maid probably got in a lot of trouble. Well, I would imagine she did. Yeah. Hetty didn't think about that maid at all, did well, she? She had to escape. She had to do what she needed to do. She needed to get out. Yeah. Needed to get out. She needed to get out. And so she did. She fled to Paris and then she boarded a ship to London. She arrived in London at the same time as Metro Goldwyn Myers, 
president, Louis B. Meyer. Now, Hetty knew that Meyer was in town and she managed to convince a talent scout to set up a meeting between them. She's very, very good at... Yeah, she's very convincing. She is. I really admire that in her. I would never have the balls to do that, ever. Just give it a try. She did. And it worked because... She set up this meeting. However, Maya was not convinced that she would be able to make it big in America because mm. of her reputation. <gasps> oh, from ecstasy. Yeah, basically she told him that she had been forced to film those scenes, which was not super untrue. Yeah. And that she was young and naive and she'd been taken advantage of. And so Maya offered her a contract of $125 a week. Now you'd think, this is a win. She's like, yes, I convinced him. I've got my contract. I'm going to MGM. I'm going to make it big in Hollywood. But she said no. Ah, do you know why? Uh, I don't know. Why? Because she knew that she was worth more than $125 ah. a week. Well, how do you know that? tree $125 a week, Maya. I say no. How do people know that? If somebody told me I was worth that, I'd just be like, yeah, no worries. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Whatever you think. I'll take whatever you're willing what, to give me. Whatever you think I'm worth. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You're the president of MGM. You, you know better know. than me. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I love her sass. She is Fuck so yes. sassy and so switched on. She's not taking shit. And so, like, okay, the thing was, though, Maya was about to head back to the US. And so she had kind of set up this meeting. She'd made her big, like, oh, no. I'm worth more than that. But then she couldn't get another meeting with him because he was going home. He was off on a ship traveling back to the US and that ship had sold out of tickets. So what was she going to do? Um, drug a maid. Not quite, Not but quite. she did have another cunning plan. <laughs> okay. Old Hetty, she went back to her talent scout friend and um, was like, get me on this ship. What can you do? And the, the talent scout was like, well, I have this young violinist ingenue who is also traveling on the same ship. Perhaps she needs a governess. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. <laughs> so Hetty Lamar posed as a governess he was looking after this 14-year-old violinist. Just to get on the ship. And got herself on that ship, got herself trapped on a boat with Louis B. Meyer, got herself a $550 contract with MGM. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the 14-year-old violinist has no one looking after them. (laughs) She's just wandering about. And her parents are believing that she's being looked after by a governess (laughs) and Hedy Lamar's off, you know, negotiating with Maya. Fucking violinist could have fallen over the side for all anyone knew. No one's looking at them. Apparently she went on to have a successful career. Uh, No thanks to Hedy Lamar. No, no thanks to Hedy Lamar. So at this point, Maya also convinced her to change her name to Hedy Lamar. Oh, uh, she was still going by Hedy. She was Keisler then. Oh, but still Hedy? Hedy Keisler. Oh, Hedy Keisler. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Keisler's not going to go down well. It's not going to go down well in 1930s America. US. No, thank you. No. So Lamar is much sexier. It is. So Maya bought Hedy to Hollywood and he started billing her as the, quote, most beautiful woman in the world. Who gets to decide that? Well, Louis B. Meyer does. I mean, he also is the person who's responsible for like Greta Garbo and mm. Catherine Hepburn and all of the glamorous yeah, starlets, iconic starlets of the yeah. 30s and 40s. So, yeah, of anyone, he's the guy who gets to decide who is the most beautiful woman in the world. Fair enough. Sure. And he wanted her to be the next Greta Garbo because she was Swedish and had an accent mm. and Hedy was Austrian and also had an accent and they're both these kind of... I say, quote, unquote, exotic, you yeah. know, European women, mm-hmm. beautiful women. Foreign. Foreign. Beautiful foreign women. <laughs> um, I'm just going to keep saying the word foreign. Foreign. Because ecstasy. <laughs> but unfortunately, unlike being Swedish, being Austrian was far closer to German. Yeah. So she was actually a far more difficult sell than mm. I think Maya thought that she would be, despite her beauty and her talent and Maya had so much trouble actually kind of getting her into films that Lamar started to wonder whether she would actually have a career in Hollywood at all. Mm. Finally, though, she was cast as the lead in the romantic drama Algiers in 1938, and she was an immediate sensation. Audiences recognised her beauty right away, and her star was on the rise. Mm. She even became the model and inspiration for Snow White and Catwoman. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. That kind of makes sense. I can see that. 
Because can I also just say, we're talking about her beauty, but I've seen quite a few films with Hedy Lamarr in them. Yeah. She can act. Oh, of course. Like, she can definitely act. Absolutely. Like, yes, yeah, she is beautiful by all means, but she's not just a face. Mm. Like, she really can she's act. She's talented. And yes. this is what's really fucking upsetting about her story is, as we shall see, her looks are the thing that determined her career and her mm. future not just in terms of her intelligence and how much she was underestimated for her abilities in that respect, but also her acting chops were totally mm. limited to her looks as well. Like, so being beautiful, but also kind of European and English as her second language, she gained a reputation on set for being quite like cold mm. and impenetrable. And maybe this was because of her Europeanness and second languageness, but also perhaps it's because she was just genuinely too clever to put up with everybody's condescending <laughs> bullshit. And apparently this aloofness prompted some of her co-workers and directors to pull pranks on her, including picking her up and throwing her off the set. And once Spencer Tracy became irritated with her because she was having trouble understanding his English because he fucking slurs. Yeah, he does. He like, does. Like, it... You can't Shut up, Spencer what, Tracy. You can't understand what he says, yeah. And so in a scene in which they were starring together in the film I Take This Woman, uh, she was required to sit on his lap for this scene. Ugh. So mm -hmm. See where this is going. he bought an unripe and rather hard banana onto oh, set with him. Lol. And slipped it down his pants. Oh, that's so original. I know, right? Yeah. So, of course, Hedy sits down. She's like, the fuck? Mm -hmm. Leapt on right out. Hilarious! I hate pranks. Just so you know, I but fucking also, hate pranks. That's not just a prank. That's sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. They're the worst kind of prank. <laughs> like, oh man, imagine how much bullshit women had to put up and still, still put up with. Up with yeah, this that's is right. this is not old, unfortunately, by any means. No. This is so standard. She. Put up with a lot of these kinds of pranks. And, um, does, and probably does that like, ah, ha, ha, ha. So oh, funny. Spencer Tracy. I you won't are hilarious. complain about it because yeah. I'm just going to mm. quietly go back to my trailer. Ha, ha, ha. You're so funny. Exactly. So she's putting up with a lot of this kind of low-key sexual harassment and condescension and fucking just bullshit. And at the same time, despite the fact that she was supposed to become the next Greta Garbo, the studio saw her as a sex object mm. and they started casting her in exotic roles such as playing ooh, a mixed-race Vietnamese seductress in I Take This Woman. Because she's so Vietnamese. Yeah, but she's got an accent, Alicia. Yeah, that's right. She's foreign. Uh, and this also, so this came a little bit later, but she did play these unfortunate brown face roles, mm. basically. She played quote unquote native women, these seductresses. And that's because that's how she was seen. She was the mm. exotic, beautiful other, even though she was a white European woman. And also because actual women of colour were never hired. No, you no, exactly. That's yeah. right. She's you the closest. Actually, you couldn't oh. actually put a Native American no, in a film. But European, that's foreign enough without being Yeah. You don't want to go too far. Yeah. That's right. You don't want to go foreign enough. Don't get too crazy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. But this made her, unsurprisingly, very popular with the men of Hollywood. And look, this is something that she probably enjoyed herself you know she knew she was beautiful and she didn't use this i think uh, she had some fun so she married again and this was to jean markey in 1939 and the two adopted a child named james but one of hetty's other lovers was a man named howard hughes oh howard hughes yeah awesome yeah famous aviator inventor filmmaker Eccentric. Eccentric. Perhaps. Yeah, let's go with eccentric. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Okay, so she said apparently Howard Hughes was the worst lover that she ever had. I am not surprised. I really feel like Howard Hughes would have been a bad lover. For sure. But. Everything would have had to be disinfected first. Yeah. And during and after. <laughs> she was, however, very fascinated by his mind and by his factories because he yes. had a bunch of aviation factories and she really wanted to understand his world some more. He was also very generous with her. So he told her that 
you know, whatever she wanted, his scientists would help her to do. All she need to do is ask. He had a whole inventing table kind of created for her in her trailer. And so she was able to go in there between scenes and work on her inventions. That's cool. That's why she's not fucking fraternising with the rest of the cast. She's busy inventing shit. She's inventing shit. Because in case you didn't know... This is what we've been leading up to. Yeah, this is where we've been going. Hedy Lamarr is also an inventor, a very important inventor, actually. I'd love to be an inventor. Oh, God. That was one of the things I wanted to do when I was a kid. Being an inventor would be fun. But I don't have the mechanical engineering abilities, I don't think. What's left to invent? I guess that's the point of being an inventor. This is the whole thing. We don't know yet. That's the whole point of being an inventor is you figure out the next thing. Exactly. Yeah. We can't imagine it yet, but in 10 years, there'll be something that we have that we're like, how did we ever survive without this thing? Yeah. I want to be that person. And what Hedy Lamarr invented is going to change the world. Yeah. Well, we invented this podcast. We We invented it. We invent whole worlds with our minds, Alicia. We do. With our stories. writers and we invent entire universes. It's the same thing, basically. With words on a page. We're magic. So true. Anyway. But anyway, Hedy Lamarr's <laughs> doing it in the real world, for real. So one of her first kind of big things, her big contributions, is that Howard Hughes wanted to build the fastest plane in the world so that he could sell them to the Air Force because war. Now, Hetty noticed that his airplanes were too slow because the wings were very square. And so she went and did a bunch of research looking at the fastest birds and the fastest fish and she combined these things together. Into fish birds. Fish bird technology. And she designed a new plane shape. Fuck yeah. Based on fish bird technology. Which is an important technology. Hughes thought she was a fucking genius. And rightly fucking so. Because how did he not figure that out for himself? <laughs> I know, just look at nature. Fuck. Yes. And so this is her first kind of forays into inventing. But as we have alluded to, Hetty's greatest invention is one that we continue to use today and it is one, in fact, that we could not do this podcast without one that we could not send this RSS feed to you all without. It is. Drumroll, please. (gasps) Wi-Fi. Well, it's the mechanism that allows Wi-Fi. Yeah, to, she didn't actually invent Wi-Fi, no, but, but she invented the technology that event, that led to. We're Wi-Fi. we're here because of her. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so basically, the way this came about is that she wanted to create a secret communication system that could be used by the Navy to guide radio-controlled missiles underwater without interception by the Germans. Because remember, she knew a lot of stuff from her time Mm -hmm. with Mandel, okay? Now, she was fascinated by this crazy new invention called remote controls. What? Remote controls? And how they worked. Never heard of them. Yeah. And she wanted to use a similar kind of system. So together with her friend, who was an avant-garde composer. As you do. George Antile, who understood the mechanism of player pianos. Ah, yes, like pianolas. Exactly. Yes. Yes, exactly like pianolas because these use a perforated paper Mm. basically as code. You know, like how original computers were just punch cards? Yes, yes, yes. My uncle uncle has a pianola. That's an aside for you. (laughs) But that is the earliest form of computing. Well, these came from basically a combination between like pianolas and looms and they Mm. they use very similar systems Mm -hmm. of that kind of punch card type of technology. And so they used this punch card style thing, paper code thing. That's very technical. (laughs) To create a frequency hopping system. Yes. So basically Lamar theorized that if signals were sent across multiple frequencies, so basically it's it's broken up. If you imagine like bars on a music graph, Mm -hmm. right? You've got your five bars imagine there's little dashes that are moving up and down between those bars okay so this meant because of this jumping the frequency hopping the signal couldn't be jammed and so that's because if an enemy does jam a frequency or stop a frequency they're only blocking a tiny fragment of the Mm -hmm. whole code Mm -hmm. and so it couldn't be jammed but it also couldn't be deciphered okay so they can't it it can't be intercepted Mm -hmm. So they patented this invention on August 11, 1942, and an electrical engineer came on board to help them to get it running. However, when they brought it to the Navy, the Navy were like, 
Well, they basically completely misunderstood this invention and were like, you want us to put a player piano in a missile? What? Yeah. How they, did they get that so wrong? They thought that it was like a player piano inside a missile. No, no, you missed mm-hmm. the whole point. But it meant that they didn't use it. Oh, fools. Yes, I know, fucking idiots. But I also wonder how much, and I think that this is a part of it, they were not keen, yes, because they misunderstood the player piano bar, but also because one of the key inventors was not just a woman, mm. but a beautiful Hollywood starlet. And let's face it, the other key inventor was an avant-garde composer. Yeah. Like these are not your typical engineers. Yeah, right? so they probably just thought they were full of shit. Exactly. They were basically just like, look, little miss, don't you worry your silly little head about yeah. what us important men are up to. Go you, back to your beautiful movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go back to your beautiful movies. And in fact, you know, you know how you really could be of benefit to the war. Oh, Hedy Lamar, beautiful Hedy Lamar. Do you know how you could be of use to us? Entertain the troops? Ah, oh, pretty much. Yeah. So, she, yeah, she was sent out on the circuit doing talks and appearances, basically raising funds for the war. Ugh. That was one part of it. The other part of it was entertaining the troops mm. through good old fashioned sex objecting in film. Oh, yeah. You know, making sexy, sexy films to send over to the troops. That keeps up morale. And so on these talks that she did where she was raising war bonds, essentially, not essentially, that is literally what she was doing, she was was raising war bonds, she and another sailor named Eddie Rhodes, they would appear on stage. She would kind of egg on the crowd, flirting, asking if she should, should I kiss him? Should I kiss him, everybody? And then if they gave enough money, she would give Eddie a kiss. Oh, that's gross. It is gross, but she raised a shit ton of money. Maybe we should try and raise some money doing a similar thing. I don't know if it would fly these days. I don't know. People are not quite so easily titillated. (laughs) No, they're not. Probably not. (laughs) Probably got better things to do with their time and money. Now, the thing is, at this time, because she was still not a US citizen, so to add insult to injury, while she was out raising money for the war efforts, the military decided that her patent couldn't be used because it had been developed by an alien, quote unquote. Exotic, sexy foreigner, you're only of use to us when you're nearly nude. Yeah, definitely. Basically. That's what I do with all my exotic foreigners. Yeah. I make them be nude. Okay, but before I go back into the rest of her Hollywood career, there are a couple of other inventions that I want to highlight of Hedy Lamar. Some of them were more successful than others. One of them was that she invented a tablet that would fizz up to create a cola. Ooh. Now, remember, she was to support the troops. And the troops, it's really hard to get soda to them. <gasps> they want cola. They want their cola, their soda, not their Fanta because that's a Nazi drink. But <laughs> so she was basically like, if I invent this little cube that's easily portable, all it needs is to be added to water. Hey, presto. We have soda for the troops. Yeah. Unfortunately, while it did fizz up, apparently it tasted just like Alka-Seltzer and it Uh. wasn't very delicious and that was a little bit of a bummer. But it was a good idea. Good try. So she did have some other little things that she invented along the way. But as I said, they did see her primary usefulness as being as an entertainer. Yeah, so something pretty to look at. Exactly. So she was back on the film sets because Maya knew that she was really valuable as his little sexy seductress Mm. and that she could be used to entertain the troops making these cheap kind of pulpy films to send overseas. Now, this is the film I was talking about before. It's a film called White Cargo, which was essentially kind of soft porn according Mm. to 1940 standards, like a B-grade highly problematic by today's standards uh, where she was cast as the you know quote unquote native in brown face and it really was just for the titillation of the troops she was cast in a few more films like this and remember that she wanted to be taken seriously Mm. she wanted to be a real actress and she had the talent to be like you said she had the talent to be a real actress but she's not american like she's not born and bred american no so they're not going to give her those roles that's right that's also the thing you're saying about being the seductress is so many of those roles of being the temptress the seductress being the bad woman Mm. at these times were given to the foreigners Mm. because your good wholesome american actresses couldn't possibly be those parts no that's right because really, according to Maya, there were two actresses in the world. There were the Madonnas and the whores. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And that yep. was it. And yep. she was a and whore. The, and the Madonnas were the American girls. Yes. And the whores were everyone else. And I think that even had she not been tainted by Ecstasy's brush, she still would have been Definitely. in that category. Mm-hmm. She had an accent. Yeah, that's right. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, and foreign. 
<laughs> However, like, okay, she did do some better films. So, and on that, actually, she decided that she was done. She was like, fuck this MGM. I'm tired of being your little sex kitten. I want to make some fucking serious films. Mm. So she left MGM in 1945 and she struck out on her own. Yes. And created her own production company. Fuck yes. Exactly. The Reese Witherspoon of her time. Yes. But not as successful as old Reese, unfortunately. Her first film was called The Strange Woman, which was unfortunately only mildly received at the box office. And then she produced and starred in a film called Dishonored Woman. But this was also a flop. Finally, she tried her hand at a romantic comedy before she was like, oh, fuck, this isn't working. And returned to the major studios because apparently the people weren't ready for not quite a sexy Hedy Lamar, no. a serious actress Hedy Lamar, and serious producer. Yeah, independent produced work by a woman, not ready for that. No one wants that. that. Shit. They want their titillation and their romance and their glamour. That's what they want. So she returned to the major studios. But at the same time, she also married her third husband, John Loder, and she had two children, Denise and Anthony. And she did also like... What happened to earlier adopted James? Yeah, so here's a story. Okay. okay? Here's a story about James. Oh, boy. So (laughs) James was apparently something of a troublesome child. And I don't know how serious this was and how much of this is just her story stories about him there's one story of him apparently slapping her one day which is not great but he was a kid and she had him sent away to military school and then he went to live with another family and she basically washed her hands of him she was like it didn't work out i should say those were her words (laughs) okay it didn't work out Because apparently, so her daughter, Denise, recalls, so she was looking through these family photos one day when she was older, family photos of a birthday, and she saw herself and her brother, Tony, and then there was this other boy standing (laughs) behind them. And she's like, hey, mom, who's that? And Hetty replied, an adoption that didn't work out. Oh, harsh. Yeah. So she didn't see James for another 40 years. Mm. They tried, I think, to mend their relationship later in her life. But, I mean, it had been 40 years, you know, like, yeah. So that wasn't great. But she had two new children. Yeah. And, And look, apparently they had quite complicated relationships as well because this is where we start to get into the kind of dark downside of, mm-hmm. of Hetty's life because as you can imagine after spending so many years working so hard and trying so hard to be taken seriously and not being taken seriously mm. it started to have a toll on her and another thing that the studios used to do was they liked to keep their actresses pepped up oh and so she would be given vitamins oh. by a doctor who they all nicknamed dr feelgood oh yeah quote unquote vitamins vitamin meth was the oh yeah vitamin of choice mm-hmm. and she became obviously quite addicted she was erratic she became violent and this included at home so her children were often quite like mm. their mother was unpredictable yeah. i think basically so yeah things are not Great, And unfortunately, this is where we see the decline in Hedy Lamarr's life. However, first, she did have something of a comeback in the 1950s when she starred in Samson and Delilah. Fucking love that film. It was the highest grossing film of the year. It's actually a really good film. Well, this was part of the whole film cycle of biblical epics. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this about myself before, but I fucking love epics. Do you love a biblical epic? Yes, I love a biblical epic. Of the 50s? Give me a Ben-Hur. Give me a Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. I I fucking love that shit. I really, really do. And Samson and Delilah is a great film. And this is she's really good in it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to watch it now. It's really good. Yeah. And she was really – she gained a lot of critical recognition for this film. But at the same time, as much as she received the critical acclaim finally that she kind of deserved her whole career, she was still within this image of the sexual and alluring femme fatale. Mm. Well, that's what she is in Samson and Delilah. Exactly. Because she's Delilah. It's Delilah. Delilah is – she the femme is the femme yeah. So she had kind of made gains in the sense that she had this much more serious and respected role, but at the same time, 
it's still within those confines, yeah. which I think is interesting still that that's the serious role that she was allowed to have. Yeah. Delilah. It's still in that box. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a biblical box now. It's a biblical whore, which is different from a regular whore. That's correct. Yeah. This unfortunately didn't really save her career though. And her star continued to decline throughout the 50s. And in 1958, she stopped acting. Altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, she did. And uh, she became something of a recluse. Though first, she had some interesting press about her. And that's because, again, she was acting a little bit perhaps erratically. And again, I think we could take a sympathetic view and understand why. So she wanted to write a memoir and she hired a ghostwriter to help her. Now, the book was written apparently based on taped interviews with Lamar, but it was published in 1966 and it was sold as an explosive tell-all. It detailed her sexcapades and all of her Hollywood lovers. It included her introduction to lesbianism as a teen. It was scandalous. It was designed to be shocking. And Lamar was like, that is some bullshit. Fuck. So apparently she had signed off on this contract without having read the finished oh, manuscript. you got to read it. And so she was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not what I signed up for. And she condemned it as being vulgar, scandalous, libelous, and obscene. Mm. So she was not happy. This is Ecstasy in Me, the book that came out that I was talking about at the top of the show. And this, I guess, also plays into the habit that she also developed around this time in her life of suing people for defamation. That's Um, a good habit to develop. (laughs) So she sued, of course, you know, for ecstasy in me. One of her other victims was Mel Brooks, who she sued for the character Mel Brooks, the character Hedley Lamar in Blazing Saddles. Oh, for fuck's sake, Blazing Saddles is an excellent film. And Hedley Lamar is like, is this old white dude? Like who people keep calling Hedy Lamar. Yeah. It's like, it's Hedley Lamar. That's just a joke. And that's the joke. That's a joke. That's, that's the all whole it is. joke. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I got very I got very protective well, over Blazing Saddles, it's didn't I? Gene Wilder, it's Mel Brooks. A lot of my favourite things. It's, she also at the same time developed a complicated relationship with plastic surgery. Oh. Now, is there, is there anything but a complicated relationship with plastics? Oh, probably. You can probably have a pretty straightforward relationship yeah. with plastic surgery. Well, I say complicated because actually on the one hand, she remained really inventive and pioneering with plastic surgery. She actually had a lot of new and innovative ideas for plastic surgery oh. and what she wanted her surgeons to do with her. And so no one of the things, she actually kind of created this particular procedure of cutting a fold under the skin and folding it over like that. Oh, to get rid of your bingo wings. Yes. Of the bingo wings under your arms. Oh. And so she continued to make innovative and entrepreneurial contributions to plastic surgery. That makes me so uncomfortable just because I'm like, ooh. And at first, like, it went really well. Like I said, she was innovative. She was a forerunner. She was, you know, leading the pack of plastic surgery. She was her own guinea pig for plastic surgery. And other models and actresses wanted what she had. They looked at her as an example of, oh, wow, look what plastic surgery can do for us. This is amazing new technology. Mm. However, she perhaps took it too far. Mm. She did more and more surgery. She would have surgery to fix the botched surgery she'd had the time before. And so, of course, it started to spiral. Mm. And she ended up looking kind of unrecognisable in her later years. I don't even know if I know what she looks like when she was older. If you Google her, you can see the effects that this had on her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be like judgmental or anything, but I think it's kind of, it's sad Mm. that she felt, because again, remember that this is a woman whose entire value, her whole career has been her looks. And when she's tried to branch out and do other things based on her intellect, they haven't worked. They've shut her down. Everybody her whole life told her that she was only worth as much as she was beautiful. Yeah. So it's no wonder that she was so desperate to hold on to that, Mm. especially, like you said, when her mind and her intellect and her talent have been, you know, squashed. Yeah, and underrated her entire life. 
And so things kind of kept declining for her. She married and remarried several more times. She had six husbands in total. Her last marriage was actually to her divorce lawyer from the previous marriage. (laughs) None of them lasted more than a couple of years. Seven is the longest, which was to W. Howard Lee, who was a Texas oilman. And she started to become famous, not, I guess, for the glamorous parts of her life, but for the more salacious parts Mm. of her life. So she was arrested in 1966 and again in 1991 for petty theft, shoplifting. So in 1966, she shoplifted a pair of pantyhose. And in 1991, she was arrested for shoplifting $25 worth of laxatives Mm. from a pharmacy. She's turned into a bit of a Winona Ryder. Yes. Sad old Winona Ryder. (laughs) Hey, Winona Ryder's not that old or sad. She's had a comeback. No, that's why I added sad and old. Okay. Because that's not Winona. You mean like not a sad old Winona Ryder, but a sad old version of herself doing like Winona Ryder. I love Winona Ryder. She's fucking great. She's my best friend. She is. She is. She had health problems, which included getting cataracts that caused her quite severe vision issues until she eventually had her cataracts removed. And she started to seclude herself from the world. She wouldn't leave her house. She didn't go out in public. She would just spend her whole day on the telephone, speaking mostly to her children and her close friends, but Mm. she wouldn't go out. And yeah, things are bad at this point. They're not great. However, there is some light in this darkness and that is because in the 1990s, see, this new technology was being developed. This new technology called Wi-Fi the internet. and Bluetooth and the internet. Her patent was finally being put to use, although... Having said that, it apparently had been used in the 1960s during the Cuban Missile Crisis, but she didn't receive any credit for it or any compensation and she didn't know that she could have claimed compensation for it. So her patent was finally being used properly. She was also finally being acknowledged for her contribution to this patent and how important her work was in this technology Mm. that was starting. In 1997, both Lamar and Antile, her composer friend, were honoured with the Electronic Frontier Foundation Pioneer Award, which is given to people who have made significant contributions to the empowerment of people using computers. And she also was the first woman to receive the Invention Convention's Bulby Nass Spirit of Achievement Award, known as the Oscars of Inventing. She had finally, finally, at the end of her life, In the 90s, she was being recognised not just for her beauty and her Mm. sex appeal, but for what she wanted to be known for her whole life, which was her mind. Yay! Finally! And I'm really glad that she lived long enough. Long enough to see that recognition finally happening. Unfortunately, though, she didn't live to see it for very long. She died in January 19, 2000 at the age of 85. So she had a pretty good run. She did. She did have a pretty good run. She died of heart disease. Her ashes were spread by her son in the Vienna woods and she was given an honorary grave in Vienna. Oh. And recently, in 2014, if that's recent still, it was five years ago actually. Oh, it's getting a bit, yeah, getting a bit old. <laughs> she was posthumously inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame for frequency hopping spread spectrum technology. Yay! And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the story of Hedy Lamar. That was a good one! Yay! Thank you! That was some glamour. I, I mean, <laughs> I, say, I say there was some glamour, but of course all of it is tinged with this undercurrent yeah. of like objectification and exoticism and all these awful things. I think it's really interesting, though, because I think Hedy Lamar is definitely, these days, she has become a name that is definitely associated with Wi-Fi mm. now. Like, mm. you, anything you see about Hedy Lamar, it's like... Oh, it's it, up there. It's, it's prominent. Up there. It's like the second thing they'll say about it. Yep. They'll be like, actress and inventor. Yes. You see it all the time. Yep. So, like you said, she did get her recognition in her lifetime. Mm. Um, which so many women that we talk about don't. It no. takes hundreds, if yeah. not like some of the women, yeah. thousands of yeah. years before. But she got to see it. Yeah, in her yeah. own lifetime. Yeah. Which, which is, is wonderful. Which is nice. Yeah. It is nice. It would have been nice if it had happened uh, 60 years earlier perhaps, but, yeah. you know. You made it sound like a Muppet then. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that having said everything that we've said about her beauty and about, you know, weighing that up against, not that it needs to be weighed up against, it doesn't need to be indirect 
competition with, you know, intellect, obviously. But do see some of those films, mm. those films that she's in. They are wonderful. And I really am a sucker for, like, I love me, like, a sword and sandal type film. Mm-hmm. Love that mm-hmm. shit. Just love it. <laughs> I mean... I think what I really like about this story is we could read it as a story of a fall from grace, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really the story of a woman who was never allowed to be the person that she wanted to be, who was never truly able to live up to her potential, who was valued only as an object of desire and whose, you know, impenetrable exterior mythologized her as this fantasy Mm. rather than acknowledging the extraordinary mind and interior life that she actually had Mm. and there's one little quote from Hedy Lamarr that I want to share before we end and that is that any girl can look glamorous all she has to do is stand still and look stupid (laughs) oh Hedy which I think sums up perhaps how she felt about where she ended up in her career which was not where she saw herself it's not the path that she wanted her career to take I don't think but despite being very successful in Hollywood (laughs) which is you know it's pretty good it's pretty good it's pretty good you know yeah well, thank you very much for taking us on that journey. Yes. And thank and you. thanks, Kat. Yeah, I was going to say thanks, Kat, for the recommendation. Thank you as well to, as we said at the top of the show, our new network, mm. Lip Media. So exciting to be on board. And if you would like to catch up with our past episodes, you can, of course, do it on your podcasting app of choice. Actually, on that, I do need to say we will no longer be with SoundCloud. So if you have subscribed to us on SoundCloud, jump on over to another podcasting app and re-subscribe to us. Unfortunately, part of our move to Lip Media does mean we are changing our host So we hope to see you on our new platform. Any any of those other platforms in the near future. (laughs) Uh, And in the meantime as well, if you would like to try and support us in any other way, you can do that on Patreon. You can join Patreon for as little as $2 a month where you will get access to all kinds of extra content. We have bonus episodes, our series called Holes in History, where we take you through the lives of some women who have been really left out of the historical record. So much so we don't know everything about them. Exactly. And we also have blooper reels if you feel like some lols. Lots of things. And if you would like to buy some Deviant Women merchandise, you can do that. You can do that on our Etsy store. And if you can't afford to monetarily support us, we understand. So if you could share the news of the podcast, spread the word, like share the us. News. Share the news. Spread, spread the news. Spread the news, everyone. Spread the news. <laughs> Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. We love reading reviews. We do. By the way. They give us a real goodie. Good as long as they're a good inside. review, don't leave a shit review because nobody likes a fucking winger. <laughs> and as always, a very big thank you to India Hui for the music, to Brendan Davies for the sound, and to Lip Media for having us. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.